Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4 slash Lisa. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Today, we're going to be talking about war. Israel has declared war for the first time since 1973 after the slaughter of at least 1,300 people at the hands of Hamas terrorists. What will this war look like? Will it become a regional war? What does it mean when countries like Qatar are housing Hamas leadership? What do we do with them? There's a lot of different angles to this story, a lot of different angles to this ongoing war. We're going to get into all of them. We're going to get in all of them with a man by the name of John W. Miller. He is a retired United States Navy Vice Admiral who last served as commander of the U.S. Naval Forces Central Command, U.S. Fifth Fleet in Bahrain. He spent a lot of time in the Middle East. He knows the players. He knows who to look out for. We're going to get his take on all of it. So stay tuned for Vice Admiral John Miller. Well, Vice Admiral, it's great to have you on the show. Not only are you an expert in this, but you're also my friend's dad. So we've known each other. And um, so I appreciate you making the time, sir. And I appreciate your service to the country. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Great to be with you. You know, Vice Admiral, you look at these calls from Hamas for a global day of jihad. Um, We're recording this on a Friday. This will be out on the following Monday. We've had open borders for over two years. What is the likelihood of terror cells operating in the United States now? It's assured we have terrorist cells operating in the United States. You cannot let millions of people across the border that are completely unvetted, that get into the country much easier than you and I can get back into our own country with our own passport at an airport and not expect that there's going to be nefarious characters entering the United States and planning or doing nefarious things. Extremely concerning, particularly when we look at, you know, the streets around the Western world and you look at these huge pro-Palestinian, which is really pro-Hamas, pro-Jihad, pro-terrorism rallies that we're we're seeing around the world. It's concerning about who we've let in. You know, I wanted to ask, you, you look at the moves that Russia made with Ukraine, you look at Iran, you know, being behind this and what's happening in the Middle East. And it sort of begs the question, is the United States still a superpower? I think it's an excellent question and one that uh, all of us should be a little bit introspective about in in terms of uh, what role the United States is going to play in the immediate future and what role it's going to play in the world in, in the long term. But clearly, when we look at deterrent activities that the U.S. has been involved in over the last, let's say, two or three years, we didn't deter Russia from invading Ukraine. Uh, we didn't deter Hamas from invading Israel. It's entirely likely that we're not going to deter, given the current track record, Taiwan, uh, China from invading Taiwan. And, and so um, if you define a superpower as a global power that can influence world events and to make sure that world events that are not in the common interest of the global community don't happen, then um, we're challenged to call ourselves a superpower because Russia doesn't seem to think we are. Hamas does not seem to think we are. 
and China likely doesn't think we are. And so you can't call yourself a superpower if no one else thinks you are. You know, and I think there's probably, you know, a debate to be had about what that role looks like, what deterrence, you know, looks like. I think to Trump's credit, he opened my eyes and the fact that, you know, you can be strong and with less intervention, you know, and, and so I think that, but you have to be strong. And that's kind of where we are now is we don't have that strength in the White House uh, from this administration. You know, we know that Iran, China and Russia have grown closer under this administration. Um, you know, it's been reported about Iran's inv- involvement. We know that Hamas would not, would not exist uh, without Iran. Um, there's also been reports that Russia has hosted Hamas leaders in, in recent months, in recent years. What knowledge do you think Russia or China had uh, about these attacks? It's an excellent question. It's really hard to know. And uh, what I would tell you that I suspect without actually knowing uh, is that China had little or no knowledge of what uh, is happening in, in the the attacks that Hamas was planning. But I think the Russians had a much better idea of it because they're much more involved uh, from a political and military standpoint in the Gulf than China is. Uh, China is just sort of starting to spread their wings militarily. Uh, they're there diplomatically, but not um, deeply engaged and, and not necessarily engaged with adversaries or potential adversaries. Uh, but Russia's there. And uh, and they've been there ever since the Obama administration, when we opened up Syria back to the Russians in a way that hadn't been the case since the Cold War. And so they're there militarily. They're fighting on the ground in Syria. They're influencing events that are happening in Lebanon. They're influencing events clearly that are happening on the Gaza Strip. So I think the Russians have more fingerprints on this, certainly than the Chinese do. And uh, it's something for us to continue to watch because uh, there's a confluence, as you mentioned, of an alliance between the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, uh, perhaps some other bad actors, including the North Koreans. We should not discount that and discount the long-term ramifications of such an alliance. And we're seeing that play out, I think, in what's happening today in Israel. Would it be fair to say that China is okay with what it, you know Russia is doing uh, with Ukraine and you know bringing us into what's going on in Europe, and that uh, you know China is okay with us now being involved in what's going on in the Middle East and, and being pulled into that, and in, in the sense of it, it weakens our hand, it distracts us, and it gives them a better opportunity to then take Taiwan. Would would that be a, a fair statement to to make? Oh, it's definitely a fair statement, and uh, I think it's 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 fair to say that China is okay or happy with any activity that involves the United States on 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 the global stage, as this particular event does, or as the war in Ukraine does, because it distracts us, it takes resources from us, it is uh, something that Americans are concerned about and continue to be concerned about. All of those are distractions to the American people, to the American government. The Chinese are happy with that because it allows them more freedom of maneuver, um, not only in Taiwan, but especially in Taiwan, but of course throughout the the entire Western Pacific, because we're paying attention someplace else. And uh, certainly, if you know, if you look at the conversations that are taking place in the foreign policy realm in Washington this week. It has nothing to do with China or Taiwan. It has everything to do with with what's happening in Israel uh, between the Israelis and and this terrorist organization Hamas. So the rest, uh, the Chinese find that to be most useful. Um, at, at the same time, I think the Russians also find it useful because this distracts this activity distracts from the conflict that's going on in the Ukraine and. We're having a rather fruitless discussion about whether we can support the Ukrainians or whether we can support the Israelis or how in the world could we support both. Clearly, we can support both. And so that's a very specious argument that we shouldn't even be having. Uh, And there shouldn't be any doubt that we need to support both the Ukrainians and the Israelis. 
Although in fairness, I think the people making that argument, I mean, we depleted our military arsenal and we're pretty much, you know, a poor, we're broke. right? So I, I think, you know, are, are we even capable? Do we have the resources to fight a, a multi you know, front war, I think is the concern. I personally, I respect your opinion, but I, I think that is a fair, you know, and then I also think with Ukraine, it's slightly different in the sense of, you know, you look at the eastern part of Ukraine and a lot of the people living there consider themselves Russia because Ukraine's been a country for less amount of time that I've been alive. And then you also look at the fact that, you know, Russia is four times the population, four times the military personnel as Ukraine is like, is the war even winnable? You know, so what's the end goal? What are we supporting? Especially if Russia just inevitably walks away with the territory that considers themselves Russia. And so I, I don't know, I, I'm personally on the side of, I find that just a little bit more questionable, particularly the fact that the country has a history of corruption and our own president has a history of corruption with that country. We've given them a lot of money with very little oversight. So I don't know. I, you know, really, really, you know, you know more about this. I really respect your opinion, but I do have some concerns there if I'm being perfectly honest. You bring up some really valid points about Ukraine. It, it is not the shining beacon on the hill of democracy. Uh, it has never been. Uh, its history goes back a little longer than than you do. Uh, because it goes back to, you know, the 800s or or somewhere in that time frame when Kiev was first founded. Uh, so the Ukraine uh, national identity has has a little bit more legs to it than I think you give it credit for. That said, you're right. Um, like a lot of countries. But in terms of independence as a country, sure, it's been, sure. what, 30, 30 years, well, I believe? Yeah, 38. 80, so, you know, maybe 96, I look younger. But let's, you know. let's call it 96. If we want to be, uh, this is when the U.S., the U.K., the Russians and the Ukrainians made an agreement that we would all help respect the Ukrainian borders. And uh, and in turn, and in exchange for that, the Ukrainians agreed that they would turn over their nuclear weapons, of which they had about 3,500, and they turned them over. So that was a good thing. What concerns me about Ukraine is not many of the things you talked about. They're all concerning. I don't I don't want to discount that uh, in any way. There's corruption in the country. The eastern part of the country largely identifies as, as, as ethnically Russian. That's certainly the case. But what we have is an established border, established and recognized by the UN, by by Russia, by the United States, the United Kingdom, and uh, and by the Ukrainians, and a permanent member of the National Security Council invaded that country, and Ukraine is also a member of the United Nations, and so we should all be concerned by that, just on principle. I don't want to move off the the very important discussion that we were having concerning. Uh, Israel and Hamas, because that's, it's really important. Yeah, no worry. I, I mean, I, bottom line is, I, I think every country has a right to defend its own borders. So I, you fully respect Ukraine's you know, desire to do that, the, their will to do that, and the intention behind that. You know, every country deserves that. It's just, you know, the question, I think, where there's a lot of argument in is, well, what does our role look like in that? Let's take a quick commercial break. More on the war in the Middle East. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be. With the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X, folks say this new solar generator from 4Patriots is worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets so you can power more devices at once, and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot power generators. Go to 4Patriots.com Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com Lisa. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. 
I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Let's get back to Israel. You know, when we're talking about Ukraine, Russia, we're talking about, you know, sort of more traditional war. How does it change war when we're, we are talking about Hamas who are, you know, terrorists? I mean, they're, they're savages. They don't adhere to inter- international law. They don't adhere to the rules of war. So in Israel's response to Hamas, you know, how does that change war? I'm not sure it, it changed war any differently than our view of war was changed on 9-11 where we as a country we didn't expect attacks from inside the country with our own airliners Uh, what we've seen from hamas is that same sort of disregard for human life a disregard for the laws of armed conflict disregard for how nation states go to war with other nation states in terms of you know being able to settle their disagreements so i'm not i i don't know that we we've learned a lot more we just learned it in a much more personal way where you have these terrorists and there's no other way to describe them from hamas uh, leaving the borders of the gaza strip and going into israel and slaughtering innocent men women and children and imagine what kind of person does it take to be able to behead a baby? So they personalize this in a way that I think is the real learning lesson for us. To have that kind of evil exist where young men can go across the border, kidnap women, kidnap babies, kidnap children, slaughter them, slaughter entire families, burn them in their beds or shoot them in their be- beds. Uh, that's what we've learned is there there's a level of evil here that really is unprecedented with the exception of Isis. And so if you look at the evolution of terrorists over the last years of the 21st century, we went from 9/11, which was heinous in its own sense, to things that are much worse, where Isis is putting people in cages and dropping them in water. And now we have what we've seen from Hamas. That kind of evil, you don't negotiate with it. You don't discuss things with them. You don't sit around uh, a negotiating table and come to terms. You either stamp out that evil or you perish from it. You know, so Israel has declared war for the first time since 1973. What do you think this war will look like? It's going to take some time, uh, but when when we talk about what takes time on the Israeli time scale versus what takes time on our own time scale, you know, we were in Afghanistan for a couple of decades. We were in Iraq for a very long time, well over a decade. Uh, I think the Israelis, when you look at the history of the wars that they've fought over the last, since they've become a a modern country, um, they're all relatively short wars. Uh, I think the Israelis think, and when I talk to my friends in Israel, this is what I'm hearing. Uh, This war is going to take not days and weeks. It's going to take months. 
and uh, and it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be brutal on both sides. Uh, the people that are going to pay the price are the people just like the people that have already paid the price. So Israeli civilians, if you look at the Gaza Strip, it's not very big. It has over 2 million people in it. And so when the government that's in charge in Gaza, which is a terrorist organization, uh, you know, they use their people to defend their weapons and the Israelis use their weapons to defend their people. That's the big difference. So it's going to be a very difficult fight, but I think it's going to take a couple of months. Uh, there's going to be a lot of bad publicity on the side uh, of the Israelis because they will prevail in this fight. There's no doubt about that in my mind because that's how they continue to exist. Uh, but um, the price that's going to be paid for Israeli freedom in their own country uh, comes at the cost of its people, its soldiers, and it comes at the cost of the people that live in Gaza. As you mentioned, you know, they're they're fighting a, a real war, but they're also going to be faced with sort of a, a propaganda war that is being waged against them. Because as you pointed out, you know, they use humans, they use their own people as human shields. They're, they're using these hostages as human shields. Uh, you know, they store its weapons in hospitals, mosques and schools for that reason. So that's going to be challenging, uh, you know, for, for them. Do, do you think that changes the way Israel fights this war? Or, or do you think they're just just need to do, obviously, what's best for their for their country and the, the survival of Israel? Well, I think it informs the way that Israel fights this war because uh, they they have to manage the perceptions of the conflict, uh, which is a difficult thing to do. Especially considering the circumstances that they find themselves in, but I think it's something that it's essential that they do, because one of the challenges that the Israeli Defense Forces face, the IDF faces, is they don't want to be fighting this particular conflict that they're already involved in uh, down south in Gaza or on the on the border of Gaza, uh, and at the same time having to fight another fight up in the in northern israel with lebanese hezbollah uh because i think i think hamas the intelligence estimates uh put their rocket arsenal at about thirty thousand rockets uh hezbollah has about five times that many rockets and uh, and missiles and so the israelis don't want that conflict to expand to there they don't want it to expand uh with the border that they have with Syria in any way, because that becomes much more difficult for them to manage. And so when they find themselves in this position where they know they have to respond well over a thousand, I think it's over 1200 Israelis have already been killed in the conflict. Uh, they have to defend their themselves. They have to defend their border, uh, but they have to do it in a very smart way and in a way that doesn't, uh, allow Lebanese Hezbollah, it doesn't allow the Syrians the opportunity to jump into this conflict as well. You spent a lot of time in the Middle East. You know, you understand these different players involved in all this. I mean, will this be a regional war? And which countries, which groups, which terrorist groups uh, should we keep an eye on? Well, we should be very hopeful that it's not going to be a, a more regional war, that it's not going to expand. But if it does, uh, and it could. And so the jury remains out on that. It'll be out on that for several weeks, I think, before we have a, a, a good idea. It very well could be, Lisa, that the, that the plan is Hamas goes first, Hezbollah goes second. And, and it's, it's better coordinated than it appears at, you know, at this particular time. But that's not known and it's, and it's not necessarily a given. But if it expands, it expands all around Israel. So it expands at a minimum to Lebanon, the northern border, Lebanese Hezbollah, with their 150,000 uh, missiles and rockets. It expands into Syria. These are more raids, I think, that we would see into uh, the land that, that marks the border between Syria and Lebanon. And uh, what I don't think is likely to happen is that it will expand to actual Gulf Arab states, 
and and so or or Arab states. So I don't think the Egyptians become involved. I don't think that uh, anybody in the uh, GCC uh, in the Persian Gulf, you know, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the Emirates, the Qataris. I don't think they become involved in the fight against the Israelis. I don't see that happening. Uh, but uh, Israel could find themselves fighting a war against non-state actors when you think about it uh, on three sides at the same time. And there are non-state actors that have significant military capability. So that's where I see the potential expansion uh, happening. And it's up to the Israelis to operate in a way that 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 helps the rest of the world manage that. It's especially up to countries like the United States, the United Kingdom, uh, to be able to to damp down uh, the tensions in the in the conflict and to and to limit it to the area that it's in today, or if it expands, to limit that expansion. Quick commercial break. Stay with us. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them. Sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be. With the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X, folks say this new solar generator from 4Patriots is worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets so you can power more devices at once, and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot power generators. Go to 4patriots.com slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com slash Lisa. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Well, one thing that made me nervous, you know, in mentioning Hezbollah is, uh, you know, I was reporting on this over the weekend when I was working for Fox News doing some co-host. Well, you, you were on with us. Um, but in, in reading the Wall Street Journal article about Iran's environment or involvement, it had mentioned that part of this was four of uh, Iran-backed terrorist groups that were all part of the training for this, which would then imply that, to your point, it wasn't just Hamas that was training for this. It was Hezbollah and two other, you know, so that I think that... Uh, that's been the back of my mind of just, you know, being concerned that of the potential of this turning into regional war, because it, it seemed that perhaps that's what they were planning for, given the reporting. Given that Iran, which, as you know, is the largest uh, world's state sponsor of terrorism, uh, is interested in nefarious activity that destabilizes the region, given the fact that the Iranian regime has on many, many occasions publicly talked about their desire to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Uh, there's no doubt that Iran is involved. And this Wall Street Journal article that I think you're referencing uh, lays out in good detail with, with great sources and not anonymous sources, actual people, 
uh, that talk about the things that Iran did to help Hamas prepare for this particular attack. There's no doubt that there are Iranian footprints and fingerprints all over this uh, operation that Hamas is conducting. And and that's true, not just for this particular operation between Hamas and the Israelis. It's true up in Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a wholly owned subsidiary of the uh, of the regime in Iran. Um, it's true in Yemen. It's true in Syria. It's true uh, to a lesser extent in countries like Bahrain and Kuwait, where the Iranians are actively supporting terrorist groups that are not friendly to the governments there. So if there's malign activity happening in in the Arabian Gulf region, it's it's supported in some way or another by by the regime in Iran. And so if we want to have a more stable, peaceful Arabian Gulf region, then we have to do something about the continuous malign activity that the Iranians are involved in. You know, as you lay that out and, you know, talk about the extensive reporting of the Wall Street Journal and also just, you know, the common sense of us all knowing, even at a base level, Iran's involvement being the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. Why then do you think this administration continues to downplay the possibility of Iran's involvement? Is it just this continued appeasement? That we've seen or is it strategy or or why why do you think they are just denying what seems to be common sense the activity that uh, that the u.s government has been engaged in and, and this goes back all the way to the 70s and it was an idea that we don't have to be friends and partners with just the arab states we don't have to be friends and partners with just the Persians, meaning Iran. We can be friends with both. And that was an idea that, that was practiced uh, in the 1970s. We, the only foreign country in the world that we sold F-14 to, F-14s to was Iran. Uh, but we had a good relationship with, with Iran, or we're trying to develop a good relationship, right up until the time that they seized our embassy and they seized all of our people in the embassy and held them hostage for 444 days. So the experiment, if you will, that we're going to be friends with everybody in the Gulf is a failed experiment. It failed in the 70s. It failed during the Obama administration. It's failing today. And why is it failing today? Why did it fail during the Obama administration? Because there's nobody in Iran that wants to be an ally or a partner or negotiate with the United States in any sort of meaningful or fair way. So we need to give up this idea. And uh, I remember hearing back when I was living in the region as the fifth league commander, oftentimes we shouldn't pick sides and thinking to myself, well, we already have all of our military bases on the Gulf Arab side. And, and, the enemy that we're trying to protect the Gulf Arab states from and global commerce and global security and regional security from is on the other side of the Gulf. It's it's Iran. And so I it's a it flummoxes me why we would still be interested in, in trying to uh, come to some sort of an accommodation with the Iranians when it's clear they're not interested in the least bit in coming to an accommodation with us. You know, what's interesting to me is, um, you know, obviously under the previous administration, um, Trump spearheaded the Abraham Accords, uh, which, you know, was striving for Middle East or peace in the Middle East and, you know, uh, normalizing Arab-Israel relationships. And we know that Saudi Arabia was working on normalizing relationships with uh, Israel. But since the attack, since Israel was attacked, terrorist attacks um, and killing their slaughtering their people in the most uh, horrific ways, uh, Saudi Arabia has blamed Israel. Qatar has blamed Israel. So, I mean, can relationships between Arab nations and Israel be normalized? I think the normalization process is going to go on. Uh, the Abraham Accords were a great step in uh, in that regard. Uh, they were every bit as important, uh, if perhaps not more important, than the Camp David Accords. I think we ought to continue down the path of, of normalization 
we support it. The Saudis, in this particular case, and, and the Israelis have to agree amongst themselves to support it. Obviously, it's sidetracked currently based on what's going on now. But I don't think we should we should give up that hope because that's better for stability in the region. And we already see that today. There's much more economic activity between non-Abraham Accord signatories and, and Israel than there has ever been before. So even countries like Qatar or Saudi Arabia or the Emirates uh, or the uh, Kuwaitis who haven't signed that accord are are much more inclined to be able to do business with the Israelis as you know than they have been in the past. That's really important because that economic interchange helps tie them together and uh, increase the the stability of the region overall. Now. One of the things that I think we, we need to continue to keep in mind is that uh, these normalization activities uh, are, are quite difficult for the for for the states on both sides, for the Israelis and and for the Arab states uh, to come to. But I think they're important that we continue to do that uh, because what we haven't done in, in all of these accords thus far. So if you look at the Abraham Accords, you look at the. Uh, agreement that was just signed a couple of weeks ago between the Bahrainis and the United States about mutual defense. If you look at the framework for the Saudi-Israeli normalization, none of those ad- address the Palestinian issue. That issue needs to be addressed. And I don't know if the timing of this attack by Hamas, I don't I don't know how much the impending, uh, w- at least what we all thought was impending, Saudi-Israeli normalization how much effect that had on their on their timing but but clearly the the issue of how to deal with palestine and the palestinian people in particular that needs to be addressed and and at some point during these normalization processes both the israelis and the palestinians and the gulf arab states need to understand we need to sit down and figure out how to solve this problem and that's that hasn't been done yet. Why do you think then Saudi Arabia immediately turned around and, and blamed Israel or, you know, Qatar immediately turned around and blamed Israel? Um, is that more for their people or, you know, what, like what, you know, obviously not a very trustworthy partner. <laughs> those are messages for the street. Uh, right. And, and and that's, those are the things that you say that help uh, calm down the street uh, from this, this potential crisis that could easily spread uh, outside of uh, the immediate confines of Israel and Palestine, and so I, I don't, I don't give a lot of credence to their comments. Uh, what I give more credence to, frankly, you know, the Qataris are actively involved in trying to release the hostages that are held in uh, in, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, I think a number of countries, including the Saudis and the Bahrainis, are interested in trying to negotiate uh, off ramps to this. To this conflict, uh, difficult work given the fact that neither the Israelis nor Hamas seem necessarily interested in off ramps at this point. But it's a good time to start building those off ramps, so that when it becomes obvious that that countries should take them, the Israelis or uh, the terrorist group Hamas, uh, that they have the ability to take them. So I think that's all kind of the normal way of of how things go in uh, in diplomatic relations in the 21st century and late 20th century. So nothing new there. Got to take a quick break. More with Vice Admiral John Miller on the other side. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from Four Patriots is worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets so you can power more devices at once and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. 
Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot power generators. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Lisa. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club you know, realistic sense that sometimes we have to deal with evil people. It's, you know, dealing with the the less evil of the evil, you know, in terms of what serves or, or, or interest. But then, but then we see countries like Qatar uh, who are housing Hamas leadership. So even if, you know, maybe they're trying to spearhead some of these things or, or help us in some way, they're still housing terrorist leadership who just waged probably, you know, some of the most disgusting things we've ever heard of in our entire lives against Israel. And yet they are fine with housing Hamas leadership in their country. So it's like, what do we do about that? Yeah, it's a great question. I was in Israel a couple of years ago and I asked uh, a member of the IDF, um, the Qataris send about a billion dollars a year to the Palestinians. So about half to the Gaza Strip, 500 million. Uh, the other half goes to the West Bank. I said, what do you, what do you think about that? And uh, his response was, well, without that aid, the conditions in the Gaza Strip, because we were standing outside a a tunnel built by Hamas that was in Israel uh, that had come from the Gaza Strip. He said, without that aid, the 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 people in Gaza couldn't survive, and and so the Israelis actually manage that money, and and so how do you deal with the people or or help the people that are in Gaza without going through Hamas? So. I think having Hamas terrorists living in Doha is a is a problem for the uh, Qataris, but they're not there because the Qataris are necessarily in agreement with their cause. They're there because this is how they get aid to the two million people that live in Gaza, most of whom don't really enjoy living under this yoke of Hamas leadership that is terrorist based and puts all of them at risk every day for their perceived cause. And so that's something to deal with. It's a little bit like, you know, Qatar gets a lot of criticism because they have, uh, or had, I think they still do, uh, an office for the Taliban in Doha. The United States asked them to stand up that office. That was that was the, the route that we used to be able to, to deal with, uh, with the Taliban in a diplomatic sense. So those things seem unsavory uh they're they're not things that we really want to hear about or discuss uh but in some cases that's how you actually preserve peace and save lives uh, and uh i do think the qataris have a, a a problem continuing to support hamas given the uh the sense of slaughter that they've they've conducted in uh, in southern israel they'll have to work that You'd mentioned uh, the Palestinians. I do, you know, you know, we're already kind of saying, uh, you know, like the media publications include the death toll in, in Gaza. And, you know, there's obviously you know refugee crisis, but like the Palestinians voted Hamas into power. 
in 2006. I mean, there's public polling previously, I think even after the, um, I can't remember if it was 2021, um, after that brief, I think it was 11 day war right between um, Israel and uh, Hamas. And then public polling after that, uh, the majority of Palestinians had supported Hamas um, after that. I mean, how much daylight is there between terrorists and the people who support them? You know, one. And then, you know, two, you look at Egypt closes its border to Gaza, not wanting to let these people in. It's like, well, if they're so peaceful, why is that? You know, and then we also look at all these videos of Palestinian children being taught to kill Jews. And in that scenario, I don't really know how much I would want to be in a room with uh, even a teenager in Gaza harboring, you know, that kind of hatred and being taught that. So like when we talk about the Palestinians, is it fair to also raise the point that there might not be as much daylight between the people of Palestine and uh, Hamas, who they voted into power in Gaza? I think you bring up a great point. And, and what that point really is, is if you're a Palestinian, whether you're living in Gaza or you're living on the West Bank, uh, and you get an opportunity to participate in an election, and the election candidates are Hamas in uh, the West Bank, that's where they're headquartered. You've got the Palestinian Authority headquartered in the West Bank, and you realize that one of my choices is a terrorist organization, but they're already here in Gaza with me and running things, including schools and hospitals and everything that's important to my daily life. Uh, and the other choice is a corrupt government. Mahmoud Abbas is in his 10th or 11th or 12th year of a four-year term in the Palestinian Authority. They're in completely corrupt aid that we give them we know we recently re uh, released some aid uh, to the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian people living in the West Bank aren't going to see a penny of that. That all goes to corruption. It goes to Mahmoud Abbas and to his guys. So when you have two really poor choices, how do you how do you choose? You, you know, you choose at the very baseline level of what's going to keep you alive and, and allow your family to eat and have shelter, and so. One of the things when we finally sit down and decide we're going to address the Palestinian issue is the Palestinian people, whether they live in the West Bank or they live on the Gaza Strip, they desire a government that's worthy of them. And they don't have that today. And so they're not even capable of establishing that today. So the rest of the world needs to help them establish a kind of government that will have the needs of the people in mind. And there's no reason why Palestinians can't live on the Gaza Strip. They can't, you know, they can live in the West Bank and get along with the Israelis. You know, there's tens of thousands of people that live in Gaza that cross the border to work pre-conflict every day. There's tens of thousands of people that leave the West Bank and go into Israel to work. There's no reason they can't all get along. And the Israelis are especially interested in making sure they do get along because that's how they preserve their their peace and their stability. Uh, but there's no Palestinian leadership today that's capable of doing that. And that's really what the Palestinian people need. But there's also been reports that in part those work permits that they gave to the Palestinians that might have also been a part of the planning and getting some of this information and this you know tactical information back over Hamas, there's been some reports and concerns that that is part of some of the intelligence breakdown. And then also, like, you watch some of these videos of, you know, little kids uh, throwing rocks at Israeli soldiers or talking about stabbing Jews. And I mean, it's very clear that there is a generational hate that is being passed down in, in some of these places, you know, and so it's I don't know if I'm, I'm not fully convinced that there could be a two state solution or that, you know, I'm not fully convinced that the people of Palestine would be able to coexist in a peaceful way with the Israelis. I just I, you know, I, I just I think sometimes like the generational hate that is being brought down is, uh, you know, or, or the belief in jihad is like maybe little too difficult to break you know but I, I don't know it's and then also like why won't egypt then open its borders to these you know peaceful quote-unquote people you bring up a great point and i don't disagree with it at all i mean the the toxic atmosphere if you look at what um the the children in gaza for example are being taught you know if you have five jews and four bullets and you shoot four jews how many jews do you have left that's sort of hateful 
uh, I mean, you know, if that's the way they're going to teach mathematics to their to the youngsters. There's a there's a lot of uh, hate and uh, propaganda to overcome. It can be done. It doesn't happen right away. It will take time uh, because to your point, this generational hate, which is not in its first generation, it's in its third or fourth uh, is going to have to be overcome and it's going to be difficult work. But until that work is 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 undertaken and and, and until that work begins, we're just going to continue to have the kind of environment that we have right now. And that environment over time is not sustainable for the region and it's not healthy for anybody in the region on either side of the conflict. Will this become a world war? I don't see that this expands uh, beyond the region. Uh, I hope and I think that it won't expand beyond non-state actors in the region, but it's decisive, uh, divisive enough and difficult enough that I think it's hard to predict where it goes. And we, we see all across the world there are uh, rallies being held uh, in support of the Palestinians to a lesser extent, I'm sad to say. Uh, there are rallies being held uh, on behalf of the uh, Israelis and the Jewish people. So there's an anti-Semitism bent to this uh, that's very unfortunate. But um, I don't I don't see Russia. I mean, if we're going to have a world war, then the United States and Russia and China all have to get in on that. I, I don't see this being a focal point for that. Uh, but I do see that it's, it's going to be a difficult time ahead. And the people that live in the region uh, are going to suffer from it. And it will have consequences that's, that spread across the entire globe. Is China the smartest of all? In this and in watching, you know, we've obviously become a weaker nation. Uh, you know, the Russians are entangled in what's going on in Ukraine, the Iranians. And I mean, is China sort of how much has China benefited, benefited, I guess, under the Biden administration and with all of this? We have overseas bases in the Middle East. We have one. It's it's a fifth fleet headquarters in Bahrain. But we also have agreements where we use bases and in other Gulf Arab states, uh, air bases in Qatar, air bases in the Emirates, army bases in Kuwait. Uh, we have bases in Europe. We have bases in the Western Pacific. Most of these bases we've had since the end of World War II. Uh, the Chinese have one overseas base. It's in Djibouti in the Horn of Africa. And uh, what they're building is the Belt and Road. So they're building economic ties either by land or by sea across the globe and with that they're building influence so they've had a different approach to it uh and i think um given the circumstances by which we got into world war ii the u.s and and the rest of the free world the winners of the second world war built a world order that seemed to make sense and built infrastructure across the globe to support that uh, the Chinese see a different world order when we should be mindful of that and understanding that uh, they don't see the dollar as as the mechanism to by which we trade oil throughout the world. They don't see the U.N. Convention on the Law of the Sea to be the way by which we conduct uh, commerce uh, via the maritime environment around the world. They want it all their way, which means they own the whole South China Sea. It's not just out 12 miles from the country or from their islands. It's it's the whole shebang. And uh, and there is, you know, they're the keeper keepers of the rules. So are they smart about this? I don't know. I'm ready to say that. But they're thoughtful about it. And uh, and they have a different viewpoint than than we do in the United States. They have a different viewpoint than the free world has. And they have a different viewpoint than most of the world has, because we wouldn't all want to live in a, in a world order that's that's run lock, stock and barrel by the Chinese. But that's where they're trying to go. You know, you look at the um, intelligence failures uh, that took place in Hamas being able to carry out this attack. Does that concern you at all when Israel is now waging this war in terms of that? Are they at a, a weaker standpoint than people might have originally thought? How, how capable of military does Israel have? Well, they have an enormously capable military. And I, I would have told you uh, 10 days ago, they have an enormously capable intelligence apparatus. 
uh, obviously they got surprised here. And, uh, you know, by definition, that's a failure of intelligence. <laughs> Excuse me. So what matters is what they do next and, and how do they realize, how do they understand, okay, where did we go wrong? I think the early thinking is, uh, they rely, uh, more on electronic intelligence, less on human intelligence than they have in the past. And Hamas was able to understand that, figure it out. And, and using, you know, travel to places like Turkey to have meetings using messengers, you know, somebody that gets on a motor scooter and takes a message from one unit to another unit without any electronic transmission. I think we're going to find, and the Israelis are going to find that's what caused uh, the intelligence failure that that resulted in a in a successful attack by any measure, but just like we learned after nine eleven, the Israelis will learn from this, and uh, they'll be better off for it at the end of the day. But difficult times ahead to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could ask the same question of you know how did we miss nine eleven, right? So you know, right now, obviously, the focus is just praying for Israel and. Being victorious in uh, you know fighting these terrorists uh, who deserve nothing but death and talking about war, what's you know so sad is you know you look at a lot of these you know young men who a lot of reservists being called up who are are then going to you know I think we all have a lot of friends and know people who have family who you know are part of the now you know going to be go fighting uh, this war on behalf of of Israel and so it's you know I think sometimes in, in a lot of this discussion there's you know you you were in the military or vice admiral you know it's like I, I think sometimes we we lose sight of the fact that uh there's a lot of young men and women who are are going to go and and potentially lay down their life uh for freedom and the the freedom of Israel and I, I that's really you know shouldn't be lost in the conversation either no it shouldn't be and there's going to be more sacrifice a lot more sacrifice on the part of the Israeli people and and we should not forget that but uh, every time I get an opportunity to go visit Israel, I'm encouraged by the commitment of the young people. And, and they have compulsory military service or compulsory service of some kind. And many of those folks en end up in the uh, in the military. They don't see that as a burden. They see that as an honor. Uh, and uh, many of them, sadly, are going to pay uh, the ultimate price for their for their sacrifice, for the freedom, for the defense of, of Israel. Uh, we can't under underscore the importance of their sacrifice in any way, but I have every confidence that every single Israeli soldier is going to do his or her duty. Is there anything uh, you'd like to leave us with before we go? I think the main point I would like to, to leave is, is whether or not you you feel like the Palestinian people deserve a different reality than what they have today. Uh, it's important to separate Palestinians from Hamas. It's important to separate Palestinians on the West Bank from the Palestinian Authority. So there's a lot of there's a lot of good Palestinians in the world that are really poorly led. And so we want to do what we can to make sure that at the end of this particular fight, there's a political outcome that's different for the Palestinian people, that they're better led, they're well led. And uh, and that's how you ultimately reduce the tensions, reduce the conflicts uh, over, over the long term. Now, there's a military victory that needs to be done and needs to be won first. And I'm confident that the Israeli defense forces will be able to do that. But support for Palestine or the Palestinian cause or the Palestinian idea is not the same as support for Hamas or Fatah or any other uh, terrorist organization uh, that uh, that exists somewhere in today's Palestine. Well, sir, I always learned so much from you. Appreciate you taking, giving us so much of your time and, and walking through all this. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Thank you for your service to country and, and appreciate you coming on. I really do. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for, so much for having me. That was Vice Admiral John Miller. Uh, we appreciate him taking the time to join the show. Learned a lot from him. He gave us a lot of time. So really appreciate that. Want to thank you guys at home every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. Want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time. 
Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be. With the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X, this new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com slash Lisa. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.